Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Monday morning to you. Hoping we find you all in good form and that you had a lovely, lovely weekend. The weather yesterday was a bit of an all miserable one. So certainly it was a day where you could be justified in spending it in front of the TV and not moving. And if you were a fan of golf, and I imagine even if you weren't a fan of golf, you probably at some stage, at some stage cast an eye over Shane Lowry and what Shane Lowry was achieving over the weekend. It really was remarkable. But it's his parents I really feel for and felt for uh, yesterday and his dad Brendan said it was the best birthday present his son could ever have given him as his son handed him the famed claret jug Brendan uh, Lowry uh, said best birthday present um ever when Shane handed it to him and said happy birthday dad now it was very much a family affair in Port Rush yesterday Shane's parents were there Brendan his mum Bridget his brother Alan was there his sister Sinead and his wife Wendy and I thought it was lovely his little daughter Iris is only two didn't have a clue what was going on yesterday but seemed to be enjoying the party and they were all at the back of the 18th green and they were all there to watch him seal at that stage what was a sixth six shot victory and of course it earns Shane Lowry his first major overcome with emotion his voice trembled as he paid tribute to his parents who has supported his dream since he was just a boy and he said they sacrificed so much for me when I was younger and I'm so happy that I can hand them this uh, trophy tonight now Brendan his dad no stranger to sporting success. He, of course, was an All-Ireland champion. He uh, won a medal with Offaly back in 1982. But he said this pales into comparison to his son's major win. He said there's no comparison at all when your son does that. He said it was my birthday last Friday. I was 60. And for him to hand me the claret jug and say happy birthday, Dad. Uh, Shane achieved a historic victory in the face of woeful conditions. Kindly described as one commentator yesterday as squally. <laughs> we kind of looked at it and said it's typical Irish summer day was it not? But uh, Shane said honestly I feel like I'm having an out of body experience. He said I was just so calm coming down to the last hole. I couldn't believe it. What a day. He said it was miserable out there. He said the weather was so hard. But he said I can't wait to wake up tomorrow morning which is this morning and know 
what it's going to feel like. He said, it's going to be incredible. I always thought I might be good enough to win a major. Look at me now. I'm here. I just can't believe it. It, it was gorgeous. But it was the fact that he dedicated his win to his parents and, you know, for him to say they sacrificed so much. I just sort of felt when I heard him do that speech of for all parents everywhere who've sacrificed for their children, they could all just that moment of how Brendan and Bridget Lowry must have been feeling yesterday. It was terrific. So congratulations to Shane uh, Lowry. Lots and lots about him and lovely photographs in the papers uh, today. Now Bernie's taking your call. Calls John Paul is off for another few days. 1850-333-103 If you want to comment or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 I've just seen a text in about Shane Lowry said wasn't it great to see an Irish man win the British Open on Irish soil? <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was indeed. Now we were hoping uh, this morning Morning on the programme to speak with Jim Byrne, Keith Byrne's dad. He's been Jim has been great to us over the last week or so in keeping us updated on what's happening with Jim or what's happening with his son Keith. Of course, Keith is in America, about to be facing deportation. Now, Bernie's just spoken to Jim off air and he's just the man is absolutely exhausted and he has nothing really that he can update us on this morning and he just wants to rest so that's fine we're not going to push him in anyway because when we left it on Friday Friday was very much D-Day for Keith Keith had a big big decision to make whether he would sign papers which basically was signing his deportation order. He would sign papers to agree to leave the country and if he didn't sign the papers then he would immediately be arrested and sent to prison and he could be at least a year in prison before it would get to court and then there was no guarantee at the end of that and I know when I was speaking with Jim last week that he had Keith has two very good lawyers in America and there was also two congressmen who were working on his behalf and I think what they were going to push and advise him to do and I'm imagining that's what happened was look sign the paper sign the documentation it gives us a bit of breathing space they now have to apply for a passport for him and I'm assuming that's an Irish passport so that's going to have to come back here to Ireland that's going to take about three weeks so it gives them a bit of breathing room a bit of wiggle room to see if they can do anything if anything can get sorted out but there's nothing new to add to the story since we last spoke with Jim on Friday, except to say that Keith did sign uh, the papers, which means now he could be removed within the next um, three weeks if nothing happens in the meantime. He had travelled to America on the visa, visa waiver programme back in 2007. He overstayed the visa, but he has been spending the last 10 years trying to get that situation sorted out. He's been doing everything. He's been paying all his taxes. He even paid a fine when he admitted that he'd overstayed the visa and he was trying to get his green card. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened and uh, he was uh, picked up and detained pending deportation. And now we wait to see what happens from here. And as we know, one of the big problems for Keith's application for a visa and the reason it had been denied in the past because he had been arrested twice in Ireland for marijuana possession, just a very small amount of marijuana uh, for which on both occasions he paid a fine and that has unfortunately come back to a bite him. So if any more breaks on that story during the week we will of course bring it to you. Coming up on the programme though today we're going to be speaking with Irish Water 
Irish Water join us because they're offering advice on water conservation. Now, there was a stage, I think, where everyone, when we all thought we were going to be paying for water, I think people were, were starting to look at the way they used water and looking at it like a utility, looking at it, I suppose, a little bit like the way we use electricity. You wouldn't put the immersion on and leave it on all day. Similarly, if you're paying for your water, you're not going to let a tap run all day. So we were all being advised at the time that Irish Water were established and at the time that it looked like we were all going to be paying bills, we were all, you know, doing things for water conservation. But I wonder now when water bills were taken off the table, do people suddenly say, ah, sure, what's the point? We don't need to worry about it now. It's a it's a free commodity. Are people still being a little bit frugal about their... Well, frugal is probably the, the wrong use when it comes to water use, but being, just being careful about your water use. One of the obvious ones, one of the ones we spoke about last week is the brushing of your teeth and turning the tap off. And that was something that I only started doing a number of years ago. I always had the tap running. It was kind of the way when you grew up and you learned to brush your teeth, that's the way we always brushed our teeth was the tap was running. And then we started to realise, no, we need to conserve water. Something we can do here. Turn the tap off while you're brushing your teeth. You can rinse your rinse your toothbrush then at the end when you're finished brushing at your teeth. So small things like that. But what other sort of tips and hacks can we learn from Irish Water about conserving water? If you've got a question, a query, or your own particular water conservation trick that you'd like to share with us, 1850 333 103, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. There was bad news at the end of last week for the Cork film industry in that there is a new tax incentive trying to encourage people to film in various locations around Ireland and Cork City and County have been excluded from the tax incentive. So we're going to find out the background to it and why we believe Cork has been excluded. What does it mean to the Cork film industry? How is it going to affect films going forward? And we've had some very successful films and TV series, including The Young Offenders, which they're filming. They're still filming that, aren't they, at the moment? But how is it going to affect films like that? The Wind That Shakes the Barley is another one that was filmed in Cork. What about the Star Wars ones that was part of those uh, filmed here? How will it affect us moving forward? So we'll chat about that on the programme today. And we'll stay with the arts getting a bit arty today because I'm looking forward to chatting to Katie Holly who is a young Charleville playwright and she's going to be talking to us about a production that she is doing with Centre Stage part of the Mallow Arts Festival and it's going to be on this Friday and uh, Saturday. We're also going to speak with the owner of Dora the Wallaby that went, Dora the Explorer, the Wallaby that went missing over the weekend and there had been sightings of it across the weekend and there was much excitement about this Wallaby and people at the start, we were getting reports in saying there's a kangaroo on the loose and people were posting photographs of what they believed was a kangaroo but it wasn't, it was a Wallaby. But there's a happy ending to the story in that Dora is now back safe and sound in Araglen, Alleman, Alleman. Animal sanctuary. <laughs> he couldn't say animal sanctuary, and it's an opportunity to speak with that animal sanctuary because I was I was unaware that there was one in Aragon. So we'll find out a little bit about Dora, the explorer, the wallaby, and a little bit about the animal sanctuary. And it is Monday, so Annalise Dressel will join us answering all of your nutritional questions. As always, if you have a nutritional question, get it into us, please. Get them in throughout the morning to 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 086, your questions, uh, 0862-103-103. Last Friday, 
we put a query into Cork County Council from a listener who was concerned about the road to Ballinamona Beach near Ballycotton. A listener asked us, could we get on to the council asking them, could they trim the hedges, please, on the way to Ballinamona Beach? Uh, Morris, one of our listeners, said it's a matter of urgency and there's a crash waiting to happen here. It's a health and safety issue. Could something be done about it? And actually, when we mentioned it, a few other listeners said, well done to Morris for highlighting it. It is a road where the hedges do need to be trimmed. So we got onto the communications office, Cork County Council, and they've come back to say that the road to Ballinamona Beach will be inspected next week. So that's this week because this came in about half three on Friday Friday afternoon when we weren't done there. So it's going to be inspected this week. So that's good news to anybody who uses Ballinamona Beach. But the council do say currently there's a general prohibition on hedge cutting. It applies until the 31st of August. If, if required, though, on road safety grounds, selective proportionate hedge cutting can be undertaken. However, from experience, Cork County Council are aware that there is a significant nesting bird population in this area. Now, if there is a nesting bird population, because last week when we started talking about the cutting of hedges and the fact that you couldn't cut hedges because of the Wildlife Act until the 31st of August and you couldn't do it because of birds and the bird population and the fact that they were nesting, we had some hedge cutters, contractors, contact us to say in all of their years, cutting hedges, they reckon birds don't nest close to the road. That if the birds are going to nest and they do nest in hedgerows, they'll go in further inside in the field where there isn't a lot of cars and trucks passing. The noise and whatever would put a bird off from nesting. But the council are saying that this particular road on the way to Ballinamona Beach, maybe it's a quiet enough road and maybe that's the reason the birds have decided to nest there. So if there is a lot of birds nesting in the that area, it'll be I'll be interested to see when the inspection takes place that might deter them cutting the hedge. But if they find out on road safety grounds that it is dangerous, according to Morris, certainly, he reckons it's a health and safety issue and he says it's a matter of urgency. He reckons it's an accident waiting to happen. Uh, if if on those grounds, then they will cut the, the hedges the health and safety will come above the the birds but if they feel no that it's okay and if they do find significant nesting bird population in the area which they've obviously have done in the past then I think that I can't I don't know if that hedge is going to be cut or not 1850-333-103 and can I stay with hedges for a second and the trimming of hedges which Mary, one of our listeners, has contacted us about to see, can we get advice from any other listeners? And I might also hold this query and put it to Peter Dowdle, our gardening expert, when he joins us on Wednesday. But let's see if any of the listeners can help out Mary. Mary says that she likes to keep her own garden tidy and she regularly trims her hedges. But her neighbours on both sides refuse to trim theirs and they won't let Mary trim them from her side either. And this is leaving what she feels is her hedges and her shrubs looking very unkept. And she's wondering, is there anything that can be done? That's a bit of a pickle. I'm actually surprised when the neighbours, Mary has offered to trim it from her side and the neighbours have said no. Most neighbours would take the hand in the shears and all off you and say, work away there, Mary, you're doing a great job. But obviously the neighbours on each side, for whatever reason, 
are saying no and they're not trimming their hedges so their hedges are becoming unkept looking and there's our Mary in the middle keeping her side nicely trimmed but when you look obviously on the top and down on the other side on each side they're very unkept looking. Is there anything Mary can do? Is there any advice? Has this happened to anybody else? In a situation where you're keeping your side of the hedge nice and trimmed but your neighbours and I don't know what the reason that the neighbours are not trimming their side and I can't understand why they won't allow Mary who's willingly uh, has offered they want to do any work themselves she'll trim the hedge on her side but they're refusing. 1850 if anybody has advice for Mary. Michael says Patricia what a memory for Shane Lowry to have his wife and his little girl present for his extraordinary achievement and his parents and his brother and sister as well whilst he has the nation holding its breath as he became Open Championship at Portrush likewise please do not forget our under 19 soccer team who sealed the first European under 19 championship game since 2011 after a 2-1 win over the Czech Republic all glory and credit to them they're the up and coming lads of the future they are that under 19 uh, team. Thank you for that uh, Michael and it's good uh, to uh, acknowledge that team along with Shane Lowry's fantastic win and when I mentioned Shane Lowry and the fact that he he dedicated the win to his parents and you know you could see that love between you know the son and mum and dad and whatever. There was a piece in, it was published in the Irish Times print edition last Friday in the obituary section. Well it was on the bulletins page of the Irish Times so not quite the obituary um, section and it was by a man, now I don't know where this man is from, what part of the country he's from or even what, who, what his surname is or anything but he's a gentleman by the name of Bill and he's 90 and he put a piece into the Irish Times, as I say, on the bulletin page. It kind of looked like a kind of a, a memorial piece, really. You know, that you'd put in when you'd be remembering a loved one, maybe on an anniversary or a, or, or a birthday or whatever. And the piece was, it was, he was sending his love, this is a 90-year-old man, to his deceased parents. And he signed it, your loving son, Bill. And in the memoriam message, he... Um, says, hello ma, this is how it begins, hello ma, Uh, time goes by so quickly but I've not forgotten you, I love you ma and I miss you I'll be 90 in August imagine that and the message goes on to say that one day we'll all meet again and we'll all be together and Bill also tells his mother and that his mother will be happy to know, I made my peace with dad and all is well now Uh, he says he has had his parents resting place refurbished and it looks really well and that Ma will love it and it concludes then with a touching message to his parents saying I'll say goodbye for now my love to you both your loving son Bill Isn't that, and I don't think I've ever come across or seen a, a piece like that That obviously this 90 year old gentleman paid for him whatever and got put into the uh, Irish Times but it just even at 90 he's very much remembering his mother and uh, his father I thought it was lovely really really lovely touching piece and I was in contact with JJ Hurley from Kinsale over the weekend who has asked me to mention that he was on Bear Island on, I think it was on Friday or Saturday, back end of last week. And he said he had a great day out on Bear Island and he said fantastic community spirit. And we all know that wonderful community spirit. I think that's all over Cork City and uh, County. But when you get into a very rural area or an area like on an island, 
there has to be a community spirit because the only way a little community like that will survive is by everybody helping out each other and the Mayfane attitude goes out the door and you're all in it uh, together. So that it instills that wonderful community spirit in a place like Bear Island. Anyway, back to JJ and his story. He was running late for the ferry. And when he said, out of nowhere, he said, a fella, a local lad stops and says, you going to the ferry? And obviously JJ says, yeah, I'm under pressure to make it. He says, hop in, I'll give you a lift. So JJ said, is there any chance you could give a shout out on the radio? Because I don't know the guy's name other than he helped JJ out and gave him a lift. So somebody on Bear Island, if you're listening, you'll know I'm speaking to you on behalf of JJ just to say thank you. And because you gave him a lift, it was it meant that JJ made the ferry on time. So well done. And the person could have just driven on and done nothing and said nothing. But no, he said he'd help out and he did. So, so t- take a bow, sir, whoever you are. You are a gentleman. Now, a number of people on about hedge cutting and hedge trimming, etc. Some of your Facebook posts um, somebody sends on a picture I don't know where this is from saying the bird's nest would have been destroyed if I hadn't stopped the contractor from cutting it and when I zoom in it is a bird's nest who has nested very close to the side of the road I don't know where it is but you can see the white line of the road right beside it so that's kind of dispelling the myth that some people were saying last week some hedge contractors saying that they've never seen birds nesting close to the road because here clearly is a bird's nest right beside the road someone else says Patricia if you're not allowed to cut hedges and ditches because of birds nesting until the 31st of August why are farmers allowed to spray miles of ditches with gramoxone and Roundup. When it comes to picking blackberries, you'd be poisoned. And how come they can get away with that? When, if a farmer does decide to spray, does that affect the bird's nesting? I don't know. Uh, Maybe somebody in the know can can, uh, tell us that one. And someone else says, have we forgotten that there are animals bigger than birds, rabbits and foxes too? So please tell those that are going out, take it easy now with trimming the edges, please. Do a little bit of trimming, but be nice and careful. There's wildlife there and we need to be looking after our wildlife. And to Mary, who's having problems with the neighbours, she's trimming the hedges her hedges but the neighbours on either side won't and when she offered to trim their side both neighbours said no and I don't know why somebody says Mary is entitled to cut to the wire on each side so to the boundary on each side and she can go skyways after that yeah well I think that's what she's doing but then if it's a hedge I mean if you can imagine a hedge that's been planted and it's between two properties Half of it is in Mary's land, in her garden, and half it will be in the other person's garden. So she's cutting her side. Now, she's doing as much, I imagine, of the top of the hedge as she can. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's right down the middle with it. I don't know. But anyway, the neighbours are saying no. But somebody says you're entitled to cut to the wire on each side so you can go, which is what she's doing. And Skyway's after that, but no more. And she's been trying to get the permission from the neighbours but both neighbours on both sides are saying no which I really am surprised by 1850 Good morning says the listener I got a phone call from a foreign number it's a plus three nine number 
Did any other listeners get one? I didn't answer it by the way. Well, a quick Google search of the plus three nine numbers tell me that's the international country code. And back in 2013, there was a, the fraud help desk advisors worldwide were giving warnings about telephone calls coming from Italy and they were advising people to be on their guard. If you see a number starting with plus three nine, which is the Italian country code, if you see it being displayed on your phone display or if you received a short or a missed call from Italy, don't return it. The chances are you've been targeted by phone scammers trying to encourage you to return the call and then you run up very high charges. Uh, And if you do call back, you end up hearing a taped message that sounds like a telephone is ringing, but all the time you're actually connected to an expensive premium number. Oh, that's a mean, that's a dirty, dirty one, isn't it? You think it's just a number ringing away. So unless you were expecting a call from a loved one in Italy or you have, you know someone in Italy, I would not be, certainly do not return the call because that's what the scam seems to be and you did the right thing in not answering it. So keep a lookout for that. Plus three nine, which is... The, that particular scam is originating in uh, Italy. Bernie taking your calls 1850 Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 Now one year on from the worst drought in 70 years that saw the country's first ever hose pipe ban. Irish Water has launched a water conservation campaign to encourage everybody to use only what we need when it comes to water. Neil Smith is a spokesperson for Irish Water and he joins me with some tips. He does enjoy me with some tips. Uh, he has uh, gone off the line. OK, I'll get Bernie too get Neil Smith back on the line and while Bernie is doing that let me update you on some of your calls coming in. Jur in Ahada says uh, great news about Shane Lowry winning the golf last night. He was watching the BBC News though and they said Shane is from Northern Ireland from a place called Offaly. Whenever an Irish person wins anything they suddenly become British. They already have six of our counties says Jur. Now they want to claim a seventh. Yeah, Sky did it as well when, when Shane was heading out for his last day. Sky Sports says, or some commentators said it would be great to have a, a British winner of the, of the Open because I saw a lot of people on Twitter were getting uh, very, very annoyed uh, about that. And uh, OK, if we kneel back, we do. Um, okay, we'll see if we sorted our problems. Joining me from Irish Water, Neil Smith. Are you there with us, Neil? I am. Ah, sorry, you got cut off. You're very welcome. Now, you, you conducted some research. Do many members of the general public admit to wasting water? Yeah, uh, the, the, the research undertaken by Irish Water sh- shows that about about half of us would say that that, that we do uh, waste water from, from time to time and that about... A quarter of those surveyed um, said that they would, um, uh, I suppose, use a higher amount of water because of the higher amount of rainfall that we have in in, in the country. Um, and look, I think I think they're interesting statistics. I, I I think I sometimes fall into into the category myself. You know, when I go to use water on a hot day, I I sometimes let the tap run. Uh, and of course, that's just letting water, you know, down the drain. And 
uh, that water has been expensive to produce and then it has to be treated at the other end at, at, at sewage plants, etc. And, and really, you know, it's small things like that where we could, you know, put 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 a, a jug of water or a bottle of water into the fridge to keep and, it cold. And always have it cold. Yeah, yeah, and it's like everybody doing their little bit uh, will help. But do you believe the prolonged drought last year showed us all how much we take water for granted? Well, I suppose um, the, the the drought last summer um, uh, w- w- was one of a number of you know a- a extreme weather events. Let's call them that 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 we seem to see arising more often. Uh, I'm talking about the storms, Ophelia and Emma, etc. Uh, and the drought, you know, was a prolonged period of dry weather um, uh, where. Uh, uh, access or availability of raw water for us to treat and then produce and put into uh, uh, distribution for people to consume uh, was diminished because of that dry weather, but also because of the dry weather, it increased uh, the the consumption of water. So what's interesting, uh, last summer, you know, uh, when the national hosepipe ban was put in place, um, there was an, a, a nearly immediate, within a week, we saw the amount of water that we needed to produce reduced by between 10 and 15 percent. Goodness. Um, yeah, and, and that was, you know, that was a great response by uh, not just in the homes, uh, 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 but also in the businesses uh, uh, to, to kind of a, a, a very urgent situation about water availability. But I suppose what we're asking now is, obviously, it's where I am, it's, it's, it's raining today. Um, and, and, you know, it, I suppose regardless of the weather, um, we're, we're asking uh, or encouraging people to be, to be aware of the water usage and to take only what's needed at, at all times of the year. And the, the reason, there are many reasons for that, but <clears throat> one is, um, you know, financial. Uh, it, 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 it costs an awful lot to, pr- to, to produce water and to distribute yeah, that's what, yeah, Explain that to people because that's why, you know, that argument that people use, why do we need to conserve water and bucket it down with rain sure. all over the country yesterday? What are you talking about? <laughs> but it's a lot more than just collecting the water that falls out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I mean, uh, I, all of our water supply schemes are different, but in essence, we would, you know, pump water out of out of rivers and lakes or out of the ground, aquifers, where we abstract water, like out of wells. So there's a pumping cost there. That's electricity. That's the main consumable there that varies as as the amount of water we need increases or reduces. Uh, We also add chemicals. Um, uh, Depending on the the type of raw water, we may need more chemicals in order to, to, to cleanse it, and to make it safe for human consumption. Obviously, there's chlorine disinfection, uh, etc. Um, and, uh, you know, afterwards, in, 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 in large regional water supply schemes, there's further pumping uh, in order to get it to areas of high ground, to reservoirs up on height, distributed around the place. There's many other costs that come into it in terms of the, the maintenance of all those pumps and equipment and labour, etc., that goes into it. But... Um, uh, it, 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 it's substantial and I suppose what we're thinking is you know when I see a light on in a room at, at work or, or at home I, I tend to turn it off you know if no one's in there or using it mm. um, 
and, and when it comes to water, you know, it, it would be great if we, if we kind of thought about it in the same way. That, we need to get into know, that mindset. Well, as I mentioned earlier in advance of you coming on, it's a little bit like you wouldn't leave the, the immersion on all day long. Likewise, you shouldn't be leaving a tap on all day long. Yeah, and, and, and I think, we, you know, the, the immersion, like we, it's not just cost, you know, when we think about it. Obviously, that's the main driver. But, you know, you're thinking about electricity. That's, you know, gas or oil or turbines have to be driven to, to create that electricity. And, and you know, it's, it's wrong on the environment, etc., to, 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 to waste that. All right, give us, give us some of the simple things that we can do that where we can all do our own bit to conserve water. I mean, you mentioned the one on a warm day, stick a bottle of water or a jug of water and just have it in the fridge. Yeah, and, and the other thing I think is that, you know, in the mornings, shaving or, or brushing teeth. Um, to, 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 you know, turn off the tap uh, while, while you're doing these things. Um, uh, I think saving, saving sink water to reuse in, in the garden after washing vegetables, etc. And I think people are very good at doing that. And indeed, rainwater harvesting out in, out in the garden with water butts, etc., if that's possible, to use that then rather than running a hose or, or, or watering uh, plants with, with a container. I think toilet flushing is actually one of the biggest things, and I'm not suggesting that people should stop uh, flushing <laughs> toilets for sanitary reasons. However, you know, if, if everyone... Um, you know, flushed once less per day, that would be 10 litres per person, you know, and it would add up to, you know, uh, about 4% of what is actually consumed uh, across the country. And and that th- small, simple things like that really help. Now, there's a long list uh, or, or details of uh, suggestions for this on our website that, that, that go beyond and, and are well worth Taking a look at, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, last week when we were talking about, with listeners, when we were talking about water conservation, somebody mentioned people under the age of 25, I think was the cut-off age, but young people, people were saying teenagers, who like very lengthy showers and who insist on washing clothes even though they've only been on their body for four hours. Do we have a job of work to do with the younger generation to get it through to them? Well, I know I know what you're saying about, about d- d- different lengths of showers or some. Uh, teenagers having longer showers than others. I'm familiar with a few. However, I think to be fair to the younger generation, I, you know, I think they've picked up an awful lot on 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 the types of issues that you know affect uh, changes to our weather patterns and climate and all the rest. And water is definitely one of them. I, I think there's an acute awareness uh, among the younger generation about the need to 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 conserve. Uh, and whilst from time to time they might find that um, for personal reasons they, 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 they skip that type of thing. I think in general, to be fair, they're, they're very good to understand it. We have a campaign in, in, in the green, under the green schools uh, in, in primary and post-primary education where there's uh, uh, across the country uh, uh, various kind of education approaches to, to, to help to understand the, the, the water cycle uh, better and, and indeed for, for, for competitions and awards and such. So um, they are get there. So you're saying young people are getting better, which is which is good to hear. What, what about leaks, though, within Irish water? Are, are you guys getting a handle on all of the leaks? We lose so much water every year through leaks. Uh, exactly. And, and, and that's that that's that's a very valid point. Right. 
the demand and the amount of water that we have to produce is 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 is, is, is twofold in terms of consumption, which we're talking about at homes and businesses, and leakage on uh, both on the network and within properties, uh, and and the greatest share is is leakage on the public side, on the mains that transmit and distribute water. There's no doubt about it. Um, and and like in in Cork, we have uh, six about six thousand kilometres of pipework across the county, and and we lose in the in the order of forty five percent of the water that we produce out of those pipes. Now it's higher in in some areas where the distribution pipework is older, um, but but uh, and 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 so that is high internationally, right? And 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 we need to drive that down. And what Irish Water. At working with the local authorities whose whose staff are uh, out continually working uh, to respond to leaks in Cork we'd have about 20 crews that do that and we have eight further crews who work on detecting and repairing leaks in in a proactive way and we're making gains there we also have uh, a, a, a policy on first fix where uh, leakage on the private side will be repaired for free by Irish water and we have a campaign of pressure management and continu- continued investment to, 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 to replace mains. But we're okay. high internationally. And okay. It can take decades, really. You're, you're, yeah, okay. And you're, and you're, you're, but you are trying to do your bit, but it's up to consumers to try to do their bit uh, as well. Okay, I have to leave it there. Uh, before okay. I go, though, Neil, Tom and Donneray was on to say he's been trying to contact Irish Water for a few days. Nobody ever answers the phone. He even wrote and got no answer. Can you suggest how, what's the best way to contact Irish Water? Well, I, I can I can take his details okay. after uh, after this, uh, okay. but 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 uh, I would encourage people to contact our call centre on eighteen fifty two seven eight two seven eight. They should be answering the phones there, and that's the normal channel. And, so, and I, take, I actually can picture. say they do answer because I had a water outage last week and I rang them, and they were they were very quick to answer the phone and very quick to okay. sort the problem. You stay there, and I'll put you back out to um, Bernie, uh, who can pass on uh, Tom's details. Listen, Neil, okay, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Thank you for that. That is uh, Neil Smith, and Neil is an engineer. And spokesperson for Irish Water. Some of your calls uh, coming in on hedgerows and the cutting of hedgerows. This always really divides people. We have people seeing it from the nesting birds point of view and from the wildlife point of view. And then we have people, I think, in the main who live in rural areas and have to negotiate roads where hedgerows are growing out and growing over the road and people seeing the danger side of it are people doing damage to vehicles, saying hedgerows must be caught. caught. So I I do have a feeling that it appears to be an urban-rural divide. Some of your text calls and emails in on this. Donal in McCroom. So the people who object to the hedge cutting should be made responsible for any accident that happens on the roads. He said, no bird ever nested on the side of the road except for a deaf one. No government or organisation has the right to take the people's rights away to look after their own property, i.e. their own hedgerows. How would they like if they were told they could only paint their houses at a certain time of the year? And that's from Donal in McCroom. And then Faulkner 
in Skibbereen emailing Patricia at c103.ie says Patricia shame on the Minister for not allowing hedge cutting during the month of August. It's another attack on rural Ireland. Some of the roads are very overgrown with briars and bushes and weeds and are very dangerous. This service must be restored in the interest of safety. It could be funded by property tax. I assure you There'll be no briars or bushes growing along the Lewis line in Dublin 4. But then this government appear only interested in the greater Dublin area. If you live in West Cork or Kerry, it's tough luck to you. Kind regards and that's Fakna emailing from Skibbereen. And then Heidi was on to say, good morning Patricia, the hedge cutting and that poor lady Mary Mary who contacted you and her neighbours just being bloody minded when they don't allow Mary cut the hedges. It's important for the lives of all who use the road network that hedges are cut and where the EU say we can't cut this is okay for the county council because ultimately they save money by not cutting hedges during the closed season so the government sees this law as okay but when it comes to something like cross country products in the EU I give an example of cars and the placing of vehicle registration taxes on them that is not needed the government will choose the EU directives and laws that suits them and the ones that they make money out of now the only thing is um, thank you for that Heidi the only thing is on the hedge cutting I don't know if you can point the finger and blame the EU because the hedge cutting and the closed season for hedge cutting was adopted under the Wildlife Amendment Act of 2000. And that was the amendment that recognised the importance of conserving hedge rows. And I can't see anything just on a very quick search that it came as an EU directive. It seems to be a Wildlife Act. It was Section 40 of the Wildlife Act of 1976. And then it was amended by this 2000 Act. And it provides protection for hedge rows. Hedge rows by providing that it shall be an offence for a person to cut, grub, burn or otherwise destroy hedgerows on uncultivated land during the nesting season, which is deemed from the 1st of March to the 31st of August, subject to certain conditions. And obviously the, cer- the certain conditions we already know is if it's a health and safety issue and if it's for motorists, they see that there's some kind of, it'll cause some kind of accidents, then uh, it is possible and uh, only only then. But outside of that, work cannot be uh, carried out. So it is a wildlife act. And as I say, don't think I've seen anything to do to say that it's to do with the EU and we blame the EU for a whole host of things. But thank you for your commentary. Keep it coming to 1850 There's one story that I have to say Spotted this on Twitter over the weekend and I'm glad to see that it's getting a lot of publicity since and on the papers. And it is to do with a father of three who, by the name of John Wall, and he has terminal cancer and he's fighting for an explanation from the HSE as to why his medical card has been revoked twice since his diagnosis and he was diagnosed and has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Cancer. John Wall is his name, 48 year old. He's from Quinn in County Clare and he is entitled to a medical card without a means test because he was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and it was certified as incurable. So on those grounds he was entitled to a medical card and the rules state doesn't have to be means tested. It doesn't matter if he's a pauper 
or a millionaire, he's entitled to his medical uh, card. So he got the medical card. And then after six months, it was cancelled. And he had to appeal the decision and he got it back. And then it was cancelled after another two months. So he said he gave them plenty of time and every opportunity to answer and for some explanation as to why. Here's a man with terminal cancer. Why are you taking my medical card away from me? And he said he put an ultimatum to the HSC last week and he says, if you don't get back on to me and if you don't explain to me why you've twice taken away my medical card from me, then I'm going to go public with the story. Didn't hear back from them. So he took to Twitter at the weekend and he said he was amazed by the reaction. He did have a feeling when he decided to go public that he probably wasn't the only one who was getting the runaround like this. And judging by the reaction he got on Twitter, he proves uh, he was right. He said some of the stories he heard over the weekend are terrible. He said, I'm lucky in that I'm well at the moment. Financially, I'm OK and I have a good uh, job. But he said, I'm bolshy about these kind of things. But he said others mightn't be in a position to fight back. And he's right. Somebody's got a terminal diagnosis who is at the end stage and is not working and is not financially in a position to pay for the meds that are needed and whose family are not in a position to find. Not everybody is able to do what John was able to do at the weekend by by very eloquently and taking to Twitter and putting forward his uh, story. Now, the, the one plus for John was the fact that he went public and there was a reaction over the weekend on Twitter, which he shouldn't have to do, by the way. It did, would you believe, elicit a response from the HSC on Twitter and they promised they would be in contact with him today about the situation. So I don't know up to, what are we, after 11 o'clock this morning, have they contacted him or not? He said he certainly was looking forward to hearing from him. Uh, you know, in the past, anybody who was given a terminal diagnosis was entitled to apply for a medical card that would be granted within 24 hours. It was very quickly done and a great system and you thought this is and this is the way it should be. It's hard enough for somebody to be dealing with that kind of news and for the family to be dealing with dealing with it without having to worry how we're going to cover the costs for all of this. So powers that be, Department of Health, HSC decided okay we're going to issue a medical card we do it. They obviously have a rapid response unit who can get them through very quickly because normally a medical card you wouldn't have it within uh, 24 hours and it was also agreed it wouldn't be means uh, tested and initially when they brought out these sort of special cancer medical cards for, for a terminal diagnosis it was renewable after six six months but then patient groups started campaigning because some when people get a terminal diagnosis not everybody is dead within six months some people put up very strong and hard battles and, and live on. And you can live on with a terminal diagnosis for many, many years. And, you know, that's, isn't that the way you would want it to be? So patient groups were arguing that the fact that it was reviewable after six months, that was causing additional stress to patients. And, you know, they were fighting as it was and they still had a terminal diagnosis. That wasn't going to change. So would you believe it was one Leo Varadkar at the time in 2014 who was the then health minister he decided that the requirement for the reviews would be dropped and they would extend the initial medical card to 18 months so that's what happened to John Wall this guy from County Clare has gone public who by the way is an air traffic controller he was diagnosed in July of 2017 he got his card in September of 2017 but when he got the initial one it was only for six months it later then got extended 
to the 18 months with it would it, well it should have been extended to the 18 months but it wasn't he had to reapply again and then they extended it for another two months and now that one is up so that's why he's fighting at the moment he says there's the HSE the medical card unit and the department and it's like he said the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing and how often have we heard that about civil servants and different government departments and John has befriended a local one from County Clare and a cancer survivor Laura Brennan who died unfortunately last March and he said I'm not just doing this for me but for others like me Laura inspired me to do that oh she would be so so proud to know that she's inspired him to go public and to fight fighting his own corner but what he will also do is fight on behalf of others. So we'll keep an eye on that story from John and hope that the HSC stay true to their word and that they are, if they haven't been on to him already, they will be on to him today and that it will get sorted, not just for John, but it will get sorted for others. But it's just, there's something awful and nasty and mean-spirited and just plain wrong that someone who has a cancer diagnosis, a terminal cancer diagnosis, entitled to a medical card, the government have decreed it many years ago that this is the one thing that we could do for someone with a terminal diagnosis is give them a medical card. They still have costs. I mean, handing something a medical card doesn't mean all their costs are taken away, but it will help. It certainly will help. And to think they're going through all of the different treatments that they need to get and perhaps operations and chemotherapy. And at the same time, they're filling in paperwork and trying to fight because the medical card has been taken away. That's just, it's wrong, 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 wrong. 1850 Bernie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. It is Monday, so that means Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist will join us and uh, if you've got any question for Annalise you can get it in throughout the morning and she joins us half past after half past 12 today C103 Jobs Jermina Community Play School they're currently recruiting for a room leader with a FeeTech level 6 in childcare while part-time staff are required for general factory work it's for blind manufacturers in the McCroom area in Chidani Island Lodge and Spa they've got vacancies for a night porter a conference and banqueting manager and a reliable chef is required for Amberley Home and Retirement Cottages they're in Formoy applicants must be able to work weekdays and also be available to work on the weekends you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 1850 333 103. Now, filmmakers in Cork have slammed the region's exclusion from a tax break designed to encourage filmmaking outside the Dublin Wicklow areas. To discuss why and what this decision means to the film industry here, I'm joined from the group Film in Cork by Representative uh, Rossa Mullen. Good morning to you, Rossa. Morning, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and, and you're welcome. The background here, it was NBC Universal who lobbied for this tax break. Can you just explain how this incentive works and why they were lobbying for it to be introduced? Sure. Well, it's basically, the, we have a tax credit in, in Ireland called Section 401. It's been there for decades. Um, it's at 32%, which is already very generous and that's across the 26 counties. But as with so much, 
there's been overdevelopment in the kind of Dublin Wicklow region, um, and it's very true of, of film and TV production as well. So there was a need to train up crew outside of that hub, if you like, um, and they were involved, NBC, with with a project in Limerick in Troy Studios, and very legitimately there was a need to train up crew there. Um, but as we have an issue here, as Galway has an issue up there, various pockets of, of production around the country. So to do it at some sort of scale, um, they proposed this 5% regional uplift, it's called. Um, but it constitutes enhanced state aid. It's very complex. Uh, you know, there was a bit of a headache when the details became clear at the end of last year. But essentially, it's enhanced state aid. It requires EU approval to try to make sure that it got EU approval. The Department of Finance selected a mechanism called RAGS, Regional Aid Guidelines. And because of success in other sectors like pharma and city and county are just have a blanket exclusion from enhanced state aid. So we, despite you know having lots of success in recent in recent years, we are actually excluded from the from the enhanced state aid. And um, why why do you believe Cork city and county have been excluded? Is it because you've been successful in recent years? No, not at all. It has nothing to do with film or television at all. That's the really frustrating element. It's it's got to do with foreign direct investment. Um, it's FDA attraction retention rates, unemployment density rates. A really complex formula um, that has nothing to do with film or TV. Um, so we in Cork have been very successful, more successful than most parts of the country mm. over the last kind of thirty years, particularly in this regard. And for that reason, the EU excludes us from from enhanced state aid, which is what this constitutes this tax break for film production. And did film in Cork, did you very much support the proposal when it was yeah, first been mooted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we assumed, everyone did, actually. You know, everyone was under the impression that this was going to be essentially, there's a kind of a rule, a union agreed rule that um, I think 45k outside of the GPO in Dublin, you know, you pay per diems, travel days, and so on for cast and crew, and that it would be that that region would be excluded from the uplift, but the entire rest of the country would benefit. How did you find out the news? Um, it was late last October, and then I don't know. We got a call about the detail um, that you know drilled down into the proposal as it has gone to the EU for approval, and yeah, we're excluded. <laughs> And is, are there other parts of the country as well excluded, or just Cork? Dublin, the kind of Leinster region generally, Dublin, Wicklow, parts of like surrounding areas, um, Lowes, Meath, parts of those counties, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, but it is all of Cork City, which you kind of you could you know have a debate about. But it is all of Cork County as well, and that is really you know it's really egregious. It's there's parts of Cork County that are as advantageous as anywhere in the country, you know, including parts of the city as well. I think you could probably argue. Um, but it, it does feel very unfair. But what it also means is that in real terms, we've been put at a significant disadvantage for the next. It's a four-year uplift. Yeah, just explain how it will affect the yeah. film industry in Cork. So for the next four years, essentially... 
the rest of the country outside of the Dublin Wicklow area, which doesn't need to train up crew because they have the crew base already. Um, they're, they're Cork won't be attractive to producers. You know, it will be significantly more cost-effective to shoot anywhere except in Cork for four years, which is a huge length of time. I mean, that's, we're going to fall way behind. Um, so, yeah, it's a really big, urgent problem for for Cork. And we've had lots of success, as I'm sure you're aware, over the last yeah. few years. And even this year, I've right now, you BBC funded projects back to back in the city. Carmel Winters had a big hit this year with Float Like a Butterfly, which shot on location down on West Core. Like projects like that, Irish European co production. This is about 2025 20, a year in the kind of one to three million range. They won't be shooting in Cork for the next four years. Um, shows like the Offenders will have to look elsewhere. 5% is a huge amount. We attract Irish European co productions to Cork with 1% intervention. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so so what do you now want the government to do and what can the government do? I mean, because my, my fear is, as soon as you mentioned the EU and that the EU had to approve it, will they just point to the EU and go, nothing to do with us? This decision was made by the EU. Well, I mean, they can try, but really the, the mechanism that the Department of Finance selected was one that just excluded Cork day one. Um, they obviously knew that that was the case, um, but there is a remedy, and that is set up a Cork Regional Support Fund. It's it's a one-off measure taken by central government, the Department of Finance, uh, can be administered through the Department of Arts, Heritage and Welfare, which is what we're doing. We're calling on the Minister for Arts, Mr. Madigan, to intervene and support the creative sector in Cork, because this is going to affect not just filmmakers, but the actors, you know. All the creative talent, there's production designers, actors, actors, props makers, costume designers. You know, there's a whole, there's a whole industry there, and it's going to ripple out. And it's for four years. This is a long time. This is not a short-term measure. You know, over a matter of months. You could use a lot of this skill set that's in Cork, couldn't you? Because of this, in in that four oh, yeah. years. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of that, that constitutes infrastructure. You know, like experienced crew having to move away, having to find work elsewhere. Um, and they and have no choice. They have to go with oh, the workers. No absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, it, uh, you know, we need a regional support fund. That's a relatively easy thing to do. We can administer it through the local authorities here in Cork. Fulham and Cork is jointly funded by Cork City and County Councils. We have a, a track record in doing this sort of thing. So it's getting support from central government to support inward production and support and build capacity in Cork. You know, we have lots of graduates. We've almost 100 graduates out of UCC, CAT and St. John's College, Cork ETV, every summer. Like They need places, they need training, they need experience. So if the projects aren't shooting here, they can't get that sort of experience. So it's the pipeline is kind of cracked as well for future growth. Did I see somewhere, have you an online petition? Yes, we do, on change.org. If you actually go onto our website, filamentcourt.com, on the news page, it's it's there, the, the first link. Okay, and you're, look, you're looking for people to support you. Any, right. any word yeah. back from the minister, any word back from the government, or any local TDs coming out and supporting you? Not yet. No, not okay. yet.
Um, All right, it is early days. behind the scenes. But okay, because yeah. this only broke yeah. on Friday, so it is it is early days. Okay, we'll keep a close eye on it. In the meantime, uh, Ross, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Not at all. Thank Thanks you so a million. Much. Thanks Cheers. a million. Bye-bye. 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 That is Ross Mullen, who joins us from the group Film in Cork for what certainly appears to be devastating news for the Cork film industry with its exclusion from that regional tax uh, incentive. We'll keep an eye, as I say, on that story and um, we'll update you if anything breaks. Uh, 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 862 103 103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. I never thought I'd miss you half as much as I do.
That's music from the band Madness on C103 and It Must Be Love. Now, as part of this year's Mallow Arts Festival, the teenage students at Centre Stage School, along with local playwright Katie Holly, have created... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's a new musical called For Forever, which will be performed in the Amelian Theatre this Friday and Saturday night. Chat about the production. Charleville playwright Katie Holly joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Katie. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, listen, I'm thrilled to have you on because I've spoken about you on so many occasions in the last couple of years. You've got a brilliant PR machine in your mother who keeps me <laughs> up to date in everything you're doing. She so, certainly does. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you'd be paying her at this point. Yeah, I was just going to say, you'll never need to pay a PR machine while your mother's around. She's great. Now, this, this, this musical, For Forever, it began back in September of 2017. Take me back and talk to me about how it all came about. So Aideen McAuliffe, the artistic director of Centre Stage, had this idea that uh, we would um, use some of the music from Dear Evan Hansen and build a plot around that. So I came in and worked with the senior musical theatre students who would be between 15 and 18. And we workshopped some ideas and they improvised. And around that, then we built a plot. Um, the kids were absolutely integral to the whole process. Um, it's their show, really. Do you know, I just kind of, I've sculpted it into what it is. But, um, and they're a fantastic group of young people. I'm delighted to be working with them, to be honest. So I know the show centres on the theme of mental health. What, what, what's the general plot? It's about three uh, young transitioner students. And one of them is dealing with some grief from her past. 
and his friends are trying to get her to talk about it and she's very slow to talk about it and it's about the whole process of, of, of grieving and coming to terms with something um, with your friends around you but you know feeling alone and isolated still um, and it's dealing with quite a heavy topic but they're, they're young people so they have a great sense of humour so there's an awful lot of humour in it as well um, and they're, they're really working it they're inside rehearsing Act 1 as I speak now Well done, well done So it covers issues that I suppose every teenage boy and girl faces today Absolutely. I think it's something that, I mean, not just teenagers, but certainly a sense of isolation um, in the words of social media and you're connected to everybody, but you're not connected at all. So it's, I think it's an extremely important topic to talk about. Mm. And when I mentioned, you know, it, it first came into fruition in, in 2017 and I know you, you got a great reaction at the Cork Arts Theatre earlier this year. Is it the same group of young people or are you new young people involved? We have new people and some of the original cast are involved as well, but nobody's playing the same part. Okay. So we started workshopping it in September 2017. It was on in 2018. It was revived then um, last year as well because it, there was such a great reaction, such a wonderful response from the audience. Um, and now we're delighted now to be uh, reviving it again for Mallow Access. Brilliant, brilliant. What, what was it like collaborating and what is it like collaborating with the young people? A very new experience for me, I have to say. I'm used to writing on my own, quite <laughs> isolating as well. Um, but they had such great ideas and such passion for storytelling. It was wonderful, really. And they told a story that I would never have thought of telling, you know. So it was wonderful. Great experience. Bodes well for the future, doesn't it, with, for those young absolutely, people? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're a driving force. They really are. And the music, there's music involved. There is. There'll be a live band uh, led by Louise Luddy, one of our fantastic music teachers here at Centre Stage, um, with three other musicians with her. And they'll be doing music from a, a couple of different musicals that fit into the plot that, that we built. So will people know some of the music, do you think? Will they recognise some of it or is it...? They're, they're quite new, the, the musicals that, okay. we're, um, that we're using. So possibly not, but I mean, anybody who's been in the West End or Broadway lately will, will surely recognise some of them. They've, okay. they've won a variety of Tonys and other awards. So um, it's wonderful music, it really is, and the, and the band are fantastic. Which brings me nicely to mention awards. Congratulations on your silver award in New York oh. for your radio play, Sharon. Was, was that a huge buzz to win that award? I mean, it's, it's, I still kind of have to think, did that actually happen or did I dream that? <laughs> because it feels uh, so strange, you know. Um, like the whole process of recording Sharon was a joy anyway in Radio 1. They're really nice people up there. They made us so welcome. Um, we recorded it during one day and then it was, it was broadcast, I think, two or three times since. And they kind of mentioned in passing, oh, listen, we're going to send it off to a couple of competitions. They never mentioned New York. And then the next thing I got an email saying we'd won the Silver Prize for Fantastic. a drama, which is amazing. Like, and I'm, I'm so proud of the whole project. And yeah, I'm, I'm delighted. I would love to do more radio plays because it was so and much did fun you, recording it. Did you write Sharon as a radio play or did you write? No, I didn't. No, no not at all. No, I wrote it for Corkman Summer Festival 2017, I think. And it toured then to the Fish Up Festival in West Cork and the Blackwater Fish Up. And then it was on in Bewley's Theatre in Dublin. And that's where someone from Radio 1 saw it and thought it would make a good radio play. So I had to go away and adapt it and cut it down by about 25 minutes which is no mean feat yeah. and because uh, it normally would be 45 minutes is what they're looking for, for for a radio play so yeah it was a much shortened version of what was on the stage And does it is it very diff, is it very different to write a radio a play for radio and a play that somebody sits in a theatre and watches? I suppose it is uh, like to a large extent because a theatre is 80% visual people are taking in mm. the setting and the facial expressions and it, it is extremely visual so you have to think about that 
when you're writing things for radio, visual gags don't work. Obviously, you have to <laughs> adapt them or get rid of them altogether, which was which was pain. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's a re- again a very interesting process and totally different from what I had done before. Um, so I've actually adapted a couple of other plays that I've written for radio now just to see would they be interested in those as well. So fingers well done. crossed. Well done. We'll get some recordings. And, and yeah. John Kenny, um, the actor, spoke highly of you when I was chatting to him when he was about oh. to do your play uh, Crowman. Now, I haven't seen the full production, but I've seen clips of John Kenny in Crowman online. Did you write that play with John in mind? I did. I wrote ah. it specifically for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had the idea for the character about twelve, you know, twenty-four months ago, I'd say, and I started working on it, doing a lot of research, and then I came to John and said, "Look, is this something you would be interested in?" And we talked it through, and we workshopped it for a while as well. And sure, he's fantastic in it. Like he's he's going down to the Fiddle Festival now this week, so he'll be in six different venues around West Cork, going over to Whitty Island and Bally de Hob and all the fantastic places down there. And he's going to a number of different places in the autumn. I just don't have them off the top of my yeah. head. But they'll all be on the Facebook page anyway if anybody wants to look up but, Roman on but, but you would know watching it that this was written for him. I mean, it's just, it's a it stunning piece. It suits him very well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it suits him very well. It's, like he's, he's the man of the genius for, for characterisation, you know, so, and obviously for comic timing. But it's also quite poignant. It's quite quite a, a, a sad and lonely bachelor mm. figure. Um, but he just he just captures captures it extremely well, you know. Yeah, because people identify with John as one of the unbelievables. But uh, and of as course, you say, his yeah. comic timing is is amazing himself. And Pat Short have that great ability. But he is a fine, fine actor. Oh, yeah, absolutely! As a straight actor, he's he's fantastic. Amazing, you yeah. Know? And people don't know him for that, but he really is. So he's worth seeing in this. Definitely, he's the. Leads off the stage, you know. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Okay, so tickets for your show this weekend for Forever. It's on in the Amelian. I'm I'm assuming people need to book. They can book on Eventbrite. Okay. Or they can also buy tickets from our office here in Centre Stage. We have uh, tickets here, or there will be tickets on the door if there are any left. Okay, but it's two nights only, just Friday and Saturday night. Two nights night. only. That's it. That's it. Then yeah, we've got to give the kids a break before they go back to school. <laughs> and so, and then what's next for for Katie Holly after this production? I'm currently writing, well, not today or not any of the rest of this week, but after this show is finished, I'll be writing the sequel to a show I did last year called The Flowing Tide, which was a comedy with live music. Um, We chose 12 uh, folk songs and trad songs and built a plot around it. Yeah. Um, So we're we're doing the sequel now because it went so well. We were delighted with the response. Um, So we'll have... Young people from the schools playing the music. They'll be sitting in the audience at the schoolyard theatre in Charleville. I know you're familiar with it. I am indeed. uh, We'll have members of local choirs um, playing patrons of the bar in which the play is set. And the sequel is going to be called The Rising Tide. So oh, we're, fantastic. we're aiming to have that on in December. So I really need to get cracking in that writing. And are you, um, are you regimented about your writing in that you sit down and write for so many oh, hours? All. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I do an awful lot of procrastinating. My, my house is never cleaner than when I have a deadline. Um, <laughs> no, it, I, I sit down when, like when I absolutely have to I sit down I do it or if you know inspiration strikes obviously 
But um, no, I'm not regimented. Totally like a decision. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, we, we wish you luck with this. As when you do sit down, it'll all flow out of you and you'll, you'll do it very <laughs> quickly. So Listen, a real pleasure Thanks to talk million. to you. We will talk again. Thanks a million for joining Lovely. us. Lovely. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Katie Holly from uh, Charleville. And say, along with Centre Stage, that play going on part of the Mallow Arts Festival this Friday and Saturday, the Emilian Theatre called For Forever. Good luck to everybody involved particularly the young people I love to see young people getting involved in arts like that and, and stage and the confidence that it can give but there's something really special about this the fact that they all as a group sat down and worked with Katie and collaborated and, and writing it so I think the very important message comes out from that particular uh, musical 1850 Bernie is taking your calls Annalise Trussell our nutrition therapist will join us in the next hour. If you have a question, I can see a lot of questions already coming in, but get your questions in, please, for Annalise. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. So we've been talking about hedge cutting and the need to protect nesting birds and biodiversity and all of that uh, this morning. I really was surprised and taken aback to read in the Echo newspaper a piece about Cork City Council who recently planted, did a planting scheme across the city and they did it for the bees and butterflies and other insects. City Hall they revealed that they had installed bee friendly planter boxes across the city. You think, God this is a terrific idea. And while some of the boxes contained nectar rich plants the overwhelming majority of the planters across the city are full of Begonius. And that's according to a gentleman by the name of Con Donovan, who is a member of the Cork Trees Trust. And he said they are relatively useless for bees, butterflies and other insects. Now, he went so far as to say, you might as well have laminated pictures of flowers as far as the bees are concerned. He said in the context of a biodiversity emergency, you have to wonder why the council are planting these plants when the National Biodiversity Data Centre provided every local authority in Ireland with a comprehensive list of pollinator friendly plants. So it wasn't as if the council could say, well, we didn't know, nobody guided us, nobody gave us direction. They did get direction. Studies have suggested that the bumblebee, now we've discussed this before in the programme, could be extinct in Ireland in the next 11 years. It isn't that far away. We need to be doing something and the time to do it is now. Con Donovan of the Cork Trees Trust said uh, that he pointed to a recent study carried out by the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan which revealed that 63% of Irish people want more pollinator-friendly planting done in our parks. He said Cork County Council, they've made progress in the Ballancolic Regional Park and along the Ballybrack Walkway. So well done to Cork County Council. But unfortunately, the City Council is yet to follow the example of Cork County Council. The City Council put out a tender for spring planting in 2019 and specified it only wanted three types of flowers. Over 90%, according to the tender, had to be polyanthus. Now, the pollinator plan guidelines state very clearly that polyanthus is a plant to avoid as it has virtually no pollen or or nectar. And yet the council are saying they want 90% of the plant that they're told to avoid. I wonder, did they misread it or something? This They are also short-lived. So according to this gentleman, they're also short-lived. So the council will end up forking up money twice a year to keep the beds in colour for the few weeks. 
Doesn't make any sense, uh, does it? Con Donovan said City Hall could actually save money if it chose to plant pollinator-friendly perennials rather than annuals that it has previously planted. None of that really is adding up. It just seems totally and absolutely bizarre that you would put out a tender, that you would look to put up these pollinators, that you would do your bit and it seems to be the way to go. And it is true whenever, you know, whenever you talk to people, everybody is aware that we have a problem with the environment, that we have a problem with biodiversity. We know that the bee population is suffering. It's in trouble. It needs help. I mean, Peter Dowdell has been talking about it for nearly as long as he's doing the slot He's been on about we need to do something for the bee population. I mean, it's only in the last few years that we've started to really panic about the the uh, the Irish bumblebee and how it could be it's, it's extinct in this country in the next 11 years. We had our bee expert on, that wonderful gentleman, uh, David Lee, who was talking about the importance of the bee population. He was talking about the importance of having hives, people having hives in, in their garden, for example. And he's certainly doing his bit to try to help and he's running bee classes for people and and there's lots of other groups and people like him who are you know really doing their best but they need help and support from big organizations like the various local authorities and we need local authorities to to look at this all Ireland pollinator plan and take a look at it take the advice from the experts and if the experts say then there is that there are certain plants that you need to plant and put them on the roadways and you know put them in a- areas where the bees will be able to go and pollinate and there you know there'll be a future for our bee population and if it's easy to do it and you know it certainly seems like it if if you put it, the right flowers in then nature will look after the rest but to get it that wrong when they were deliberately told don't go for polyanthus that the pollinator plan says poly- polyanthus is a plan to avoid as it's virtually no pollen and no nectar. And yet, according to Con Donovan, the City Council put out a tender specifying it only wanted three types of flowers, of which 90% had to be polyanthus. Not making sense at all. 1850 We're going to take a break. We've news at 12 midday on the way. In the next hour, we'll find out about our roving wallaby who was bouncing around North Cork. He's back safe and sound, which is good news. And of course, Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist, will answer your questions. Get your questions in, uh, please. 1850 John O'Donovan in the city was on to us earlier. He attended the march on Saturday. You know, the one we spoke about on Friday that was organised by the postal workers at the Cork Mail Centre on Little Island. And they were looking for public support, people to come out. And uh, they were doing a peaceful protest in Cork City against the closure. As we know, the Cork Mail Centre is to f- close... I think they're starting in September, the closure, and then the plan is from Unpost that it will be fully closed by March of next year. So there was this. Workers were taken to the streets on Saturday looking for people to support them. And according to some of the newspaper reports, hundreds of people did turn out uh, to show their support. And um, John O'Donovan, I'm assuming, was there as a supporter for the workers. But his grievance with the protest was that the Lord Mayor was there dressed in casual clothes. Why why don't the postal workers get the first sit oh why do why when he was going on to support the postal workers, why wasn't he there with his full chain of office on? So he obviously it was Saturday, 
I mean, I don't know when he says casual clothes, how casual was he? But he wasn't dressed as John felt a Lord Mayor should be dressed when out offering support to the postal workers. He should have been you know, suited and booted, I'm assuming is what John wanted, but he should have been wearing chain of office. I don't know if there's some ruling around that when you are Lord Mayor and you're going on a protest, are you allowed to wear your chain of office? There could be a ruling. I don't know. Um, other, He said also, other Fianna Fáil politicians were there. John told them they shouldn't be there as they are supporting the government policies. So are you saying from that, John, you wouldn't have had any politicians there at all? Well, I suppose their message, the one thing that the workers will say is they're trying to get their message through to the politicians. So maybe by having members of Fianna Fáil politicians who don't have other I'm assuming other parties showed up as well, that they'll relay the message back to government, even though the government have come out and said that there's nothing they can't intervene in a decision that was made by Unpost. I think they've made that uh, very clear. But anyway, there was a good few hundred people turned out to support the workers. I'm sure they must have been pleased about that. Uh, thank you, John, for your call to 1850 We've been discussing hedge cutting on the programme today with people for and against the cutting of hedges. Close season is underway. You're not allowed to cut hedges. It's been in since the 1st of March. You can't, due to the Wildlife Act, you can't cut until the 31st of August, except in exceptional circumstances. That's prompted somebody to WhatsApp in photographs to me to say, I live in a very rural area and hedge cutting is been done and it's been done indiscriminately. And yes, birds do nest in roadside hedges. If hedges were genuinely cut for road safety, we would see less of it. In my area, I've seen my neighbour, a farmer, cut hedges in July and not because of road safety. Nothing to do with road safety. It's been done widely done, the cutting of hedges, and not for safety reasons if you view the areas cut. And then this listener... I'm not calling out any names on this, but this listener has sent in two photographs taken before being cut. Please note the hedges are not even growing over the grass verge, which they're not. And then a second photograph of the hedges cut taken during a cutting spree on the 17th of July. So it was last week. I also saw the same hedge cutter in action a week previously and they don't just trim them back, they decimate them. And you can see the before and after photograph. And the listener is right. While the hedges needed to be cut, looking at these particular photographs, there's certainly no grounds for health and safety. You could have waited until the 31st of August because none, not one part of the section of hedge I'm looking at has is in any way out over the grass verge. You, know, you can see the grass verge actually looks a bit burnt in uh, parts. And then the hedge cutter has come in and, yeah, about half of it, I'd say, was taken away looking at the photograph. And I'm just looking at it here in the screen uh, in front of me. So people certainly not best pleased with that. What, what I can say for those that are annoyed about, as this listener said, indiscriminate cutting of hedges, the Irish Wildlife Trust are always appealing to members of the public to report illegal hedge cutting. And you can report illegal hedge cutting incidents to your local Gardaí or you can obviously get onto the National Parks and Wildlife Service. Now, I don't know how many people will want to do that. I mean, especially when this listener says it's a neighbour. I mean, do you want to fall out with your neighbour? Could you talk to your neighbour? Could you ask why they're deciding to cut back and, as you say, decimate the hedge? 
particularly when it is out of season. And maybe check, maybe he has a reason as to why he caught it. But this listener is of the view that it's, it's there's a lot of it going on because this the photographs sent in to me were on the 17th and they were done the previous week as well, which would have been the first week in July. And that's nearly a good eight weeks away from the actual season, the closed season being opened in which you can uh, cut 1850-333-103. Uh, keep your texts coming in to us, uh, please, and uh, your calls. And I can see there's some really good questions, by the way, coming in for... Some really good questions coming in for Annalise and Annalise will join us after half past at 12. So keep those coming. 1850-333-103. Sean has asked me to mention, Hi Patricia, does anybody know why the town square was blocked off for, from traffic in McCroom all weekend? There didn't appear to be anything happening, according to Sean. So he found it unusual that the town square in McCroom blocked to traffic does anybody know why? I mean, normally if it's blocked off to traffic, it's for a reason. If It, it obviously isn't roadworks because you'd see the roadworks underway. And normally they'll block it off or they'll pedestrianise it if there's a festival on, if there's a fair on. Was there something like that going on? If anybody shown is kind of a, a bit bemused as to why McCroom Town Square all weekend closed, blocked off to traffic. He says it was all weekend. I don't know if it was just for certain hours over the weekend and the hours that he wanted to get there, uh, it was closed. Does anybody know uh, why? 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service, they've got a donor clinic. It's in the Middleton Park Hotel uh, today. There are five to half past eight this evening they're, and they'll stay and be there again tomorrow, three to five in the afternoon and again between seven and nine. Ballyfahan Bingo, they play every Wednesday night, eight o'clock in Ballyfahan Community Centre. Five thousand euro is the jackpot every week with a guaranteed payout of over four thousand euro. Proceeds go towards the upkeep of the hall. And the popular Clonakilty Guided Historical Town Walks. They're held every Wednesday evening during July and August. You meet at the Michael Collins statue at seven. The walk lasts about one and a quarter hours. And breast cancer survivor Liz Cullinan is climbing Kilimanjaro. Way to go, Liz, in August. And she's doing it to raise funds for Cork Cancer Care Centre. As part of her fundraising, a special fundraising night will be held in the Grove Bar in Blackpool this Friday night with music by the Topsy Brothers. Spot prizes galore and a great night ashore. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, and I'm waiting for, um, we are waiting for the, our wallaby uh, story. We're trying to get in contact with uh, Andrew Boyle, who runs the Aroglen Animal Centre. We spoke with him earlier, but we're just having problems patching that call through. So let me take a look at some of your texts coming into the programme. Danny McCroom says, Patricia, the road, the, the square was blocked off all weekend because of a fair that's on today in McCroom. And that's the reason for 
the town square in Macomb being blocked to traffic all weekend. They were getting ready for a fair that's on there today. Thank you for that. Now, somebody else is pointing out to the listener who sent in the photographs of the hedge row being cut and saying that it was couldn't understand the reason for it because when you look at the picture the the before and after one the before one the hedge isn't growing over the grass verge you can clearly see the grass verge and the hedge is growing up to about halfway through the grass verge but it isn't over onto the road saying you can't cite motoring health and safety issue because it's on the grass verge somebody is pointing out but a hedge like that will have a lot of thorns in it. So anybody walking on that grass forage, because certainly if you're walking and there was thorns, the arm would be torn off you. Or you'd have to step out onto the road and, and the very fact you're stepping out onto the road, that's deemed a health and safety issue. And that would be one reason if a landowner could prove that there are enough people out on the road because the hedge is so far over on the grass forage, it could be a reason. I don't know. I mean, what I would suggest, I don't know what kind of a relationship the listener has with her neighbour who is the farmer who she saw cutting it, if she could in some way contact him to for an explanation as to why he is uh, doing it. Somebody else said, dikes will have to be cut soon as the roads are getting very narrow and we have no view at all dikes will have to be cut okay along with the hedges I'm assuming is that what you're saying that uh, the the view well again I go back to if you can prove there's a health and safety issue either for pedestrians or for motorists then the Wildlife Act they'll take a look at the Wildlife Act and landowners and farmers can get permission to cut the hedges but it's indiscriminate cutting is what people are contacting us about and are very very annoyed uh, about it Danny in the uh, city says, Patricia, just to let you know, that election poster for Sheila Noonan, who ran for the Labour Party for MEP for the South, uh, she didn't get in, by the way, uh, it's still up at the end of the Western Road near uh, the Western Road near Donovan's Road. This was one that somebody drew our attention to last week. I don't know if it was Danny or not himself who drew our attention to it but somebody did somebody drew our attention to it last week and I gave a shout out in the hope that maybe somebody from the Labour Party might be listening and they might be able to send somebody out to take down the poster because you could be fined I'm really surprised that they haven't been fined or that somebody from the council hasn't been on to the Labour Party because normally that's what happens and I know after the local elections and the general elections certainly any of the politicians councillors politicians we would be dealing with here if we get a call in in the weeks after posters are meant to be down and if we say to whoever it is TD councillor somebody who didn't get elected if we point out that there's a poster up they'll straight away send somebody out because they do their best they have the week isn't it seven days after the count finishes to get out and take down the posters but there'll always be a random poster you know left somewhere or there's always what skullduggery goes on where one party or one candidate might take another candidate's poster and when they're all down they might pin up a candidate's poster somewhere just a bit of skullduggery to try and get somebody into trouble not saying that that's what's going on here but we have heard of that happening in the past so normally they are quick so I am really uh, surprised and and I take it Danny who's contacted us in the city it, this Sheila Noonan poster is very obvious 
where it is. I'm just surprised that somebody from the city council hasn't been on to the Labour Party to point out that the poster is there and that if they don't remove it, they'll be fined because we have had political parties and individuals fined in the past for not taking down their posters. Gemma by text saying, there's a sign on the window of Shaw's in Vermoy last weekend of a sale. And when we went there yesterday, it wasn't opened, says uh, Gemma. Does anybody know why? I'm assuming, maybe, do they not? Do they open on a Sunday? I don't know. Anybody in Vermoy tell us about that? Shaw's in Vermoy. So last weekend, there was a sale. Went there yesterday. It wasn't open. Do they just close on a Sunday? A lot of the smaller shops will open on Sundays in the run-up to Christmas. But certainly a lot of the county towns, they don't open on Sunday. Some do, but majority of them, I'm, I'm open to correction, but I would say the majority of shops are closed on a Sunday because trying to pay staff and they have to give staff a day off uh, as well. I think there's something nice about staff having uh, Sunday off. So if anybody can fill us in, was it due to be open yesterday uh, or not? And Teresa says, what sort of fair is on in McCroom today, Patricia? Didn't hear anything about it. I've no idea. It was just Danny in McCroom says, when I put out the call, somebody wanted to know why was the town square in McCroom closed off at the weekend. Danny in McCroom said it was blocked because of a fair on today. So I don't know. I'm, I'll just see if I can try and find out more about that. But Teresa now is a bit uh, tickled as to she wants to know what fair is actually going on. 1850-333-103. Still looking for your questions, please, for Annalise. We seem to have a problem getting through to the Aragon Animal Centre. We were hoping to talk to them. No, we're hoping to talk to them because Dora the Explorer, the wandering wallaby, Wallaby is home safe and sound. We spoke with them earlier and they were up first, but we're having difficulty now uh, getting through to them. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And I've just gone on to mccroom.ie, which is a really good website, to say there is an event called the Free Market in McCroom and it's running from July. 21st to 23rd and what are we at today? 20, uh, 22nd so it's yesterday, today and tomorrow and it's the national tour of the free market exhibition and it explores and celebrates the vital role that marketplaces play in the life of rural c- communities. It's uh, curated by a team of six architects and designers. Free market aims to reassert the declining rural market square as a public place of social, political and cultural exchange central to community cohesion. Uh, And that's going on at the moment. The Free Market Pavilion arrived to join with market traders in the Market Square in McCroom. It arrived yesterday. It's there until tomorrow. The pavilion's been installed on the square and it was launched with a special event opened wall at 6pm yesterday evening and visitors are invited to take part in a series of free events helping to spark new conversations around the future of our towns. That sounds really terrific. I'm assuming Cork County Council are in some way. Are they involved in that? And there is uh, loads more about it up on the McCroom website at mccroom.ie. 
for anybody who wants to know because people were just <laughs> some people are saying that they knew nothing about it and wondering uh, what, uh, what what was going on so that's what the fair uh, is all about Annalise Russell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic joining us on this Monday afternoon good afternoon to you Annalise good afternoon now I want to start with a question that I held over that I promised that I would get to that we held it over from last week and it's to do with somebody trying to conceive and I've just had another uh, question in so I'm going to put the two questions together and perhaps we'll combine both let's start with the one from last week first that says I've recently been diagnosed with PCOS polycystic polycystic ovarian syndrome syndrome I have two children already but I would love to have another baby I'm taking metformin as was prescribed by a fertility doctor I'm just looking for advice on diet and what foods to avoid I'm quite fit I'm eight and a half stone so I don't think weight is an issue that's one question and then another question in today saying is there anything I can take to supplement implementation implementation during the luteal phase uh, I'm off, I've often wondered if my immune system is preventing it as I often break out in hives I already take the Avogel stinging nettle remedy please don't call out my name as it's such a personal matter it's okay conceiving talk to me about conceiving okay well there are two completely separate issues there Patricia so okay. polycystic ovaries actually is um, a syndrome which means it's a collection of symptoms and the symptoms range from um Anovulation, which means that you're not getting, you know, you go very long um, periods of time without menstruating. Uh, you may also find it, um, that weight goes on very easily and you find it very difficult to lose weight. Also facial hair. Um, sometimes you feel as well you might be getting all the symptoms of premenstrual tension, which would be sore breasts, low mood, anxious or irritable, uh, but it doesn't result in a period and also difficulty conceiving. And there is, like with many sim- syndromes, Patricia, it's more of a collection of symptoms than a particular cause. Um, so it's very hard to know what is exactly the cause of polycystic ovarian syndrome. What can happen over time as well is that uh, a number of follicles begin to mature. Now, in an, in, that happens with all of us, actually. The eggs mature within the follicles outside our ovaries, but the one that matures the quickest sends hormone signals out to the others to stop maturing. And this is the one that's mostly released during ovulation. With polycystic ovaries, there's no signal being sent. So you have a number of eggs that continue to mature in the follicles. And if you get an ultrasound, it can look like a bunch of grapes. You know, you have a number of swollen follicles with the eggs, but none of them are being released. That's why it's difficult to conceive with polycystic ovaries. You're not ovulating. So in terms of the natural focus and the natural approach, there has been some evidence that shows there is a link between uh, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and insulin resistance. So it is like a type, uh, a pre-diabetes or a type 2 diabetes type of a syndrome. And this particular listener has been put on metformin, which is actually a drug that's generally used to treat pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. And the idea is that the insulin stimulates the growth of, of uh, a number of eggs within the follicles. So by managing that insulin and making the body more insulin sensitive, it prevents that from happening. So the diet is the one to follow is actually the one I would recommend to people who are pre-diabetic or who have got type 2 diabetes, which is a low, simple carbohydrate diet. Now, what that means is you cut everything out that doesn't have a lot of fiber in it. So all processed white bread, white rice, white pasta, all sugar, biscuits, cakes, chocolate sweets, anything with sugar in it. 
and your diet should really be made up of good quality lean protein like um, free-range chicken or fish, lean red meat, lots and lots and lots of vegetables and brown rice, brown bread if you need it and brown whole grain pastas but in small portions. So that is the diet that's best suited for PCOS and then supplement wise you'd be looking at things like um, the omega-3 fats are very good for improving insulin sensitivity so I'd recommend a high strength omega fish oil. The other thing that's very good and there is a supplement that's being sold at great cost online which is basically something called myo-inacetol and that comes mixed with vitamin B6 that you'll get in a health shop for maybe one one quarter of the cost of the online one that's being sold for PCOS. So that's spelled M-Y-O, Myo, Inacetol, I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L. And that could be very good, again, for preventing the maturing of the numbers of different follicles and for, for inducing ovulation. But I think it's probably best to work together with a practitioner, Patricia, because there's often other underlying things in terms of digestion. Genetics plays a role. So to have a more targeted approach, go and see a nutritional therapist. Um, So that's the PCOS one. And then in terms of conceiving and the immune system link, there is a school of thought that thinks that for some people, they produce a lot of natural killer cells in the uterus that prevents implantation because if you think about a baby growing in your body, Patricia, it's actually a totally different genetic makeup. So it's like having an organ transplant in a sense in that it's alien to your body uh, in terms of your immune system recognition. So actually when women are pregnant, our immune systems are often suppressed in order to prevent rejection of um, of the growing fetus. Now, it's not a problem for most women and this is certainly not a proven thing for certain women who have no problem getting pregnant but have a problem with implantation it is just a school of thought that it's possibly natural killer cells at work that are preventing they're looking at it like a foreign body and they're rejecting it like they would a foreign body so um there is a therapy that you can have done it's called um it's called immu- um immunoglobulin therapy i think is the name of it and i know that I think there's Sims do it. Sims is a fertility clinic in Ireland, and I think that they do that. But they will do a lot of tests first to see if that's something that would be suitable for you. And then from a natural perspective, if you think the immune system would be involved, it would be very important to identify things within the environment or the diet that might be triggering an immune response and try and lower the overall immune response. So stinging nettle is good for a natural antihistamine. But if you could figure out what's actually driving the immune response in the first place and remove that, that would be the natural approach to possibly, you know, improving your chances of implantation. OK, and best of luck to uh, to both ladies there. Mags uh, says, Annalise, how, how do you deal with long-term antibiotic use and what to use instead? Yeah, it's very difficult, Patricia, and I don't know what it's for, but in my experience, I would notice a lot of women on long-term antibiotics for urinary tract problems, urinary tract infections and kidney infections. And the problem with long-term antibiotic use is that you're wiping out all the good bacteria along with the bad guys. So the alternative treatment would be to use natural remedies to get rid of the bad guys and to treat the ailment and then replace all the good bacteria And then once the good bacteria are in place within the gut or within the urinary tract, they'll often do the fighting off of the bad bacteria for us. Now, when it comes to the urinary tract, if there's a structural issue, so for example, there's a problem with the valve and 
maybe the urine isn't actually being able to flow out and it's pooling, that can cause problems um, with, you know, recurrent infections. And it's more difficult when there's a structural issue. But for urinary tract, what I'd normally recommend for people to try and get off antibiotics is to do three months of a combination of D-manos, and that's spelled with a capital D, and then a hyphen, and then manos is spelled M-A-N-N-O-S-E. This is a kind of a sugar, and but it prevents the bacteria that cause urinary tract infections from hooking on and being able to multiply. So instead of being able to hook on, on, they slide off. It's less likely that they can grow to numbers where they'll cause infection. So the D-manos combined with um, a probiotic that has some cranberry extract in there. So Quest, a company, they do a very good one called Cranbiotics, B-I-O-T-I-X at the end. Um, and I think what you need to do is take those three times a day for a period of one month. Um, if you're still infection-free at the end of the month, cut it back down to once a month and then do that for anything between three to six months for maintenance until you've restored the health of the urinary tract. Yeah, they can be nasty things to, to get rid of. They really can. You know, bacteria are so clever. Patricia. I know. They form something called a biofilm, which is like a kind of a mucus blanket that they pull over themselves and they can go into dormant form and hide under that. So that's why the problem is with antibiotics. They kill the ones that are there, but they can't get under that biofilm. So that's where natural remedies can work really well because they can get under that biofilm. Okay, Dan says, hi. Uh, Could you ask Annalise, please? Could you recommend anything for our 15-year-old son? He's extremely bad stretch marks on his back and stomach. They're very purple a lot of the time. Okay, so what I'd recommend in that case is two things. One would be to take um, vitamin C and zinc. Now, vitamin C is very important for, um, for collagen and stretch marks can often appear when there isn't enough collagen in the skin. Um, so vitamin C and zinc is always excellent for skin in general. Take a combination of that every day and then I think the best thing to do is actually rub on a stretch mark oil. Now, Dr... Um, Sorry, the Walida brand, it is um, W-L-E-D-A. They do a brilliant stretch mark oil for pregnant women. So that would be very suitable for the skin. Um, And it's very suitable as well if you're pregnant to prevent or to treat stretch marks. Or just plain vitamin E oil can work very well and you can buy vitamin E oil in most health shops. Um, Rosehip oil is an excellent one for stretch marks. So uh, a combination of any of those, but I do always get superb feedback about the Willida stretch mark oil. It's one of the best ones on the market for that. Okay, Helena says, what's the best exercises to firm tummy muscles? My tummy is sagging a little bit. Or is there anything else that would help overall? Thanking you, Cecilina. The dreaded saggy tummy. A saggy tummy. So, look, Patricia, you know what? I've had the answer for that now. You'd be rich. (laughs) You know what? When I started going to the gym a couple of years ago, that's what I wanted. I wanted the six pack. But as the, the the trainer said to me, he said, there's no point getting a six pack underneath the fat because the fat will hide the, the six pack. So for a stomach, you actually have to lose belly fat in order to be able to see, you know, a nice toned tummy muscle. So I'm not sure in this case is the tummy sagging because there's excess belly fat, in which case really it's just a matter of weight loss and um the worst foods for, for the belly fat are things like sugary foods. So to cut out kind of high carb foods may be the answer there and just try and lose a little bit of weight specifically around the belly. And then you can do all sorts of like abdominal crunches or sit-ups and 
yoga is wonderful as well for um, for improving the strength of the stomach muscles and not just in the six pack area. The yoga will work almost even sort of internally in the pelvic area. So it's actually strengthening a lot of the muscles that hold up our stomach as well as the muscles that form our six pack. So go for a good yoga class and lose a bit of weight would be my answer there. And someone else says, hi, is there any natural product for under eye wrinkles? Yeah, loads of them, Patricia. And some of them are better than others, I suppose, really. But like I'm I'm very plain and simple when it comes to my own kind of beauty routine. I have a few products and I don't, you know, I don't spend a lot of money on them. I think one of the best ones is um, hyaluronic acid. And you'll find that now is in even a lot of the ones that you buy in supermarkets. Um, you can buy that in a health shop or you'll be able to buy it in an ordinary pharmacy or in certain supermarkets. And hyaluronic acid is the... Um, it's the liquid that kind of plumps up our collagen and makes it nice and plumpy looking. So you could take that as a tablet internally and a lot of people will notice that their skin glows when they take collagen and hyaluronic acid supplements. So there's, I pr- prefer to spend my money on those. And then for an under eye eye cream, I don't have a separate eye cream myself. Now maybe a beautician would argue with me that you'd need one. But I use a serum all over my face and then I use a face oil and that would be my beauty routine at night. Um, And I think the serums will get in at a deeper level and hydrate from quite deep down. And then the oils will hydrate and protect at the very kind of closer to the skin dermis level. So you're getting it from both angles. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. Well done. Uh, Mary says, anything that you could suggest to rub onto varicose veins? I take a blood pressure tablet. Yeah, so the best thing for the varicose veins is horse chestnut. And you can get a Dr. Vogel product in any health shop called Venatone, V-E-N-A-T-O-N-E. And if you put that actually into the fridge as well and then put it onto hot and achy legs with varicose veins, it's very soothing from the coolness. But over time, the horse chestnut is great for helping to shrink the varicose veins. You can also take horse chestnut internally uh, for varicose veins. That works very well. And Dr. Delish Clare does do a venous, uh, a cream, a, a venotone type cream that has got, um, again, horse chestnut and a few other nice things in there for the varicose veins. So if you can't get the Dr. Delish Clare one, which would be my number one choice, go for the Dr. Vogel one, which every health shop should stock. Khan in Rockchapel is suffering from what he describes as a sore mouth. He thinks it's a little bit like thrush. What would Annalise recommend? At the moment, he's been a brave man because he's currently using salty water to kind of rinse out his mouth. Yeah, Ouch. but salt, salt water is wonderful, Patricia, for lots of things. I mean, definitely it's great for killing off bacteria and preventing infection. So it's great for a throat gargle. It's great for, a, you know, a mouth or even if you've got, um, you know, an infection in your feet or anywhere in your fingernails or anything, always salty water is is great as a soak. It's brilliant as well, actually, a salt bath, Patricia, for people who've got unbearable itching from hives or from eczema. It's a great one for that too. But if it's thrush in the mouth, the best thing to do is probably do a mouth rinse with something called grapefruit seed extract. And you can buy that in liquid form. I'm a big fan of this because any time I'd ever go on holidays, I used to always get a stomach bug, Patricia, because I was never careful enough about not eating salads and, you know, brushing my teeth from the tap. But I, um, it's a brilliant natural antifungal, antibacterial, antiparasite. Um, you can use it as a mouthwash for thrush. You can use it for um, as a, a foot soak for fungal toe infection or athlete's foot. It's wonderful for that. 
Some people gargle with it if they've got sore throats and they'd swear by it for preventing sore throat and infections. And it's a great one to take away on holidays with you to prevent a runny tummy. So get that in any health shop. It's made by a company called Higher Nature and the brand name of it is called Citricidal, C-I-T-R-I-C-I-D-A-L. Okay, let's go to a WhatsApp. Hi, would Annalise, what would Annalise suggest would be good to give an energy boost for walking and jogging? I'm a woman in my late 50s. Would magnesium capsules be any good or magnesium in any form? So magnesium, Patricia, has been very fashionable recently and there's lots of people taking it for various different things. It is good for energy. If you feel that you get very sore after exercising or walking, magnesium is a great one to take for that reason because it can definitely help, you know, your performance, like your recovery afterwards. And it may give you energy for walking if you're deficient. But if you're not deficient, then it's not going to work for you. I think that there'd be two things I'd recommend. And this is, I think, just for this lady when she's actually exercising, she's looking for something to give her an energy boost then rather than all the time. So the one thing that is absolutely wonderful for um, helping if you're doing any kind of exercise is beetroot extract. You can buy it in a kind of a shot form by a company called Beat It. And um, it actually is performance enhancing, Patricia. And there are studies to show that it enhances your performance. And the reason it's which opens up all your blood vessels and allows blood to pump, you know, more efficiently to all the organs in your body so it'll bring more oxygen. So when you're running are walking hard, you know, at a fast pace, actually your tissues are getting more oxygen. So you're much, you've much more energy from, for that reason. So that's one thing I would recommend. And the other thing then that's great for an energy boost is ginseng. Um, so Siberian ginseng is great as well if you've been stressed um, to give you a bit of an energy kick. If you need to use it long term, you're not fixing the problem. So it's not a good fixing of the problem, but it's a great crutch to get you over a low energy slump and you can buy that in any health shop the Siberian ginseng is the, probably the best one to give you an energy boost Okay and I've just seen and we'll leave it until next week somebody's husband has just recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and is looking for any natural products that, she, well, that she will be able to help him so we'll, we'll hold that one and we'll get to it to, uh, next week Listen Annalise it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you for that Thank you and uh, have a good week. That is Annalise Drissel from the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic. Let me just finish up with some of your calls and texts coming in. Patricia, I cut my hedge on the inside because my cattle were going through the electric fencer and out onto the road because the briars were actually killing the shock from the fencer wire. So I didn't have any choice, needed to keep my cattle in. And I had to cut on the inside out rather the outside uh, in. Texture says, the road known as the bog line back of the hospital in Dunmanway is totally overgrown. It hasn't been cut back in a few years now. It's a big walking road and a very busy road for traffic. It's a disgrace to the council. Please don't call out my full name. I would suggest, because I could open the phone lines and get a list of, of roads. The council seems to be getting annoyed that we keep contacting them, saying, what about this road, what about that road? Because as they pointed out to us very clearly last Friday, if any member of the public has a particular road that they think there's an issue with, they ask you to contact them direct. So please, we encourage people to do that, including John and Skibarine, who was on to us saying, is the council going to do anything about the Ragworth around the ditches in the Skibbereen area. At the end of the day, it is poisonous to animals. 
should they not be cutting the ragworth back around the ditches? Now, I don't know. It is when they when the Wildlife Act states that you can't cut the hedgerows from the 1st of March through to the 31st of August. Does that also include anything that's growing up around the ditches, including what John has pointed out here, out here rag, Ragworth? I know we've got the Japanese knotweed and there's loads of signs around the county that I've been spotting with signs up by the council saying, please do not cut, cut because it is Japanese knotweed. I don't know if anybody knows the solution, what happens when it is Ragworth. Noel is a truck driver. He says the hedges need to be cut to stop his side mirrors being broken off his truck. The County Council don't cut them high enough. In New Zealand, they cut from six feet high and they cut them flat on top. They don't do the same in this country and it's causing a huge amount of damage to truck drivers and damage done to their trucks. Okay, that's where we leave it for today. And if anybody can suggest Tom and Clondrahad is looking for somebody to give him guitar lessons, if anybody can help us with that, can you let us know please? Guitar lessons in the Clondrahad area. I have to leave it there. Thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing Nick. No, Nick isn't with you. Wayne is with you. Uh, Filling in for Nick. I'm back with you tomorrow at 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.